Hawks Hawks Live. Every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Paul Moyer. It's Thursday. It's your favorite day of the week because you get to sit here and listen to me, Michael Bombas, and Paul Moyer on Hawks Live every Thursday at 7 right here on 710 ESPN. And last week we were hoping that we would get back together, Paul, and talk about a victory, and that's exactly what we are talking about. And it looked a little different. Russell didn't put up, I guess, the godly numbers when it comes to passing yards, but he had four <laughs> touchdowns. Just, so, just another he, – he did end up being our MVP, by the way. He did. He, he came did. out of Finally. nowhere. That's like the first time in two years maybe that he's been our MVP on the pre- and post-game show. So it looked a little different for Russell Wilson, still threw four touchdowns. But I feel like the headline of the game was that defense quarters one through three. You're the numbers guy. What you got for me on this defense? Look, I, they they played really well, and, and particularly for guys who are, you know, we still got a lot of injuries, right? We don't have Griffin in the game. Uh, we still don't have Jamal Adams. We lose Mayoa. My goodness, you know, who would have thunk it? And then, you know, it takes great players to step up and, you know, challenge Bobby. Not to say we, me, we have challenged Bobby Wagner to not just be good, to be great. And he was my key hawk going into that game. I said, he, he can't be average. He can't even be good. Played his best game of the year. By far. And maybe his best game in two years. And and it wasn't just in the stat box, or you know, with the, the sacks and the quarterback hits. It was the way he was playing in the run game, his way he was challenging and crowding receivers. I mean, there was just a lot of good things that went on in that game. So, um Feel good, you know. Going into that game, we were we were uncomfortable. Yeah. Okay, the Forty ers just played two really good football games. You felt like, golly, you know, they're about to get healthy. You know, we got to knock them out, and we just come off a loss. Anytime you come off a loss, you you've lost a little bit of confidence. Yeah. Except for Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll, <laughs> who who just you know they've got this positive vibe. So. I feel really good where we are. I mean, we put a hurting on them. You know, they're San Francisco's getting beat up tonight by by uh, Green Bay, so they are what they are with all their injuries. But you got to feel good with the Seahawks at six and one playing Buffalo, a really good football team. I just think we're playing the best football of the year right now, coming off that, and we're about to get really healthy. Yeah, what I liked about that game against the Forty ers offense played well. Defense played well. Special teams had a turnover. Special teams got it done. And we got to talk about some guys who we don't really get to talk about a lot. Cody Barton. I mean, he he flies down on kickoff, knocks a dude out. David Moore, who we talk about, Mr. Consistent, 16 catches, three of them for touchdowns. He has a day. Um, Ryan Neal. Yeah serviceable, still doing his thing. Uh, he, he played a decent game. Bobby Wagner. Now, we talk about Bobby all the time, but not in this light. This is the first game where Bobby kind of like just jumped out on us. So I appreciate it. And then the week before, Tyler Lockett has, as you would call it, the greatest game in Seahawks history for a receiver. And then DK says, hold up. Don't yeah. forget about me. I might not have the greatest game, but I'll still have 12 catches on 15 targets, 161 yards, and two touchdowns. As a fo- former player, a former coach, when you see all three phases doing their things, man, you, you got to smile on the sideline and say, okay, we're doing something good. And then we don't like when guys get hurt. We're ball players. You don't like yeah. to see guys go down. But they knocked out Jimmy. They knocked out Kittle. They knocked out Pettis. Knocked out Coleman. I hope those guys are okay, but it was nice to see this defense play some physical football. And they, and they put Warner, their best player, I think, on the on the field as well, uh, on the sideline. He came back, and but you you, you wound the leaders yeah. in a game that uh, that pops out. And you'd mentioned guys, you know, 
we're going to have T.J. Reed on tonight. You know, first game back, gets his former team, interception, uh, Stephon Sullivan. My goodness, he's a freaking tight end. Not anymore. And then all of a sudden he lines up defensive end. His very first snap, he makes a play on third down, you know, kind of a, a co-sack or a co-play on a, actually on a running game. Um, yeah, Jonathan Bullard, who played well, DJ Dallas, um, you know, effective. Belore. 18 carries, if I if I remember right, um, Demarcus or Demarius Randall, uh, Bellore. You just meant a lot of role players that had a big impact in this game. So yeah, we should be feeling really good. Yeah. And you get Jamal Adams back. You get Mayoa. Um, I can't. I got. I'm going to have to go look at all my notes, all the guys coming back on this. But, oh, Griffin more than likely coming back. Uh, we just got playmakers coming back on the defense. And in offense, we're about to get really healthy, too. So I- exciting times. Exciting times. And it was good to see uh, Russell Wilson bounce back. I guess he he played a good game prior. He just threw three interceptions, so you're going to knock him on that. And, you know, you're you're good with your predictions, Mr. Palmore. I went on the Tom, Jake, and Stacey show, and I said, you know what? Russell's going to throw four touchdowns, no interceptions. So wow. I had a, a Palmore moment. Wow. This week, that's, a, that, that's a big – you even – if I could show everybody, we do these <laughs> little mini flexes, big flexes. He put his hands out like he was about to catch a whale. I mean, uh, big fish. So that, that's that's some boast in there. But look, right now he's averaging four touchdowns a game. Yeah. You know, he's got, what, 27, 26? You know, he's on – I don't know what the number is because we're going into our eighth game. But he's on pace to break the all-time record, which is 50 by Tom Brady. You know, he's averaging close to four a game. That's nuts. I mean, to go from ground Carroll – to now, you know, let's throw it as often as we can. Uh, two-thirds throwing. Uh, pretty, pretty remarkable, th- this transition. So they bounce back. They're now 1-1 one one in the division, 6-1 and one overall. Buffalo Bills, they're going back east. Now, if this was 2008 through 10 when I was on the team and we were going back east, you just chalk it up as a L because we just didn't do good on the road. But this is a different team. They have different leadership. They have a plan. I feel like Pete Carroll has – embrace the scientific part of this and, and has a scheme and consults with people. How can we get our guys to perform at a high level so early on the East? And now they're going to check in on the Buffalo Bills. I'll tell you what I see. You tell me what you see. Okay. I see an offense who has figured out who they are. Last week, Josh Allen threw the ball 18 times, and they rushed it a bunch of times. I think this guy can throw the rock. He's athletic. He has receivers. Stephon Diggs, one of the best receivers in the league. Cole Beasley, one of the best slots in the league. Yeah. Two good running backs. Yeah. And I think this offense, If I, need, I think they need to take the New England Patriot approach when it comes to using their quarterback in the run game because I think that's where you allow him to excel. Let him be athletic. Don't make him drop in the pocket, sit in the pocket, and make a bunch of decisions all throughout the game. Offensively, I feel like this is a good football team. This is a, I don't want to say it's a danger. They're, they're six and two, Buffalo. It's just, it's the Buffalo Bills. There's something about the name. If I said, hey, we're about to go play New England Patriots, who are six and two, doesn't matter what their, their names are on the back of the jersey. It, it would make your ears perk a little bit. But um, you'd mentioned Josh Allen. I, so I put a, the game on last night, and I was like, yeah, he's going to be another Donald Jones, right? Just a guy with an arm and makes bad decisions. Oh, no, Josh Allen is in a whole nother ballpark. He is a really good athletic quarterback. Sometimes his decision-making is a little iffy because he trusts his arm so much and his athleticism, yeah. but he can run. He's tough. 
He has a cannon for an arm. He's completing 67% of his passes right now. Yep. I mean, his not coming out of, I think, Wyoming was he wasn't that accurate of a thrower. Well, he is now, and he can throw the thing about 90 yards. There's been talk, you know, who throws the ball the far as Mahomes or Josh Allen. The consensus is Josh Allen has the strongest arm in the NFL. Yeah. And now he's accurate. Um, tough game. They've got skill positions all over the place. Here's their weakness. Where is it? Defense. Yep. One of the same defense in 2019 that was, was being amazing. praised. I and know. Doing their thing. What What's the difference? They still have Tredavious White. They still have um, Edmonds in the in the middle of the field. I, don't know. I, you know, it's one of those. It's hard to put a, a finger on it. You know, why were I could I could go back and say, well, why was it good last year? Yeah. You know, this year they're just giving up plays. Uh, you know, they're not winning in, in the key moments. Third down, um, they're giving up obviously a lot of first downs, a lot of yards. I don't know. I, I I don't know the answer to it. It's just whenever I see what's the weakness of a team, and this is what's weird. This will be a good debate for us later. But once I see the the weakness of the team is defense, I go. <laughs> Good to go. I, I go, we're going to score 30. Yeah. You know, so is our defense good enough to hold them under 30? I believe it is. I think they are, I think they are if they play the way they played last week. Yeah. You have to put pressure on Josh Allen. You look yes. at him on film, the dude's tough, too. He'll yeah, stand he in the pocket, take a hit, and flick that wrist and throw the ball 40, 50 yards down yeah. the field. Uh, so if they take the same approach, and I think they will, Jamal Adams is going to be back. I'm sure B. Wags is in their ears saying, look, let me loose. Let's keep this thing going. They may have found their new identity on defense, and I hope they stick to it. You know, you, you got Reed now. Uh, Amadi doesn't look like he's going to be back this week, but down the road. Now, all of a sudden, we've got huge depth. We get Griffin back. You got Dunbar. We got our two safeties, Jamal, throwing digs. And look, I don't want to take you know Ryan Neal away either. I'm really curious what package we bring. So uh, expecting good things this week, though. Expecting good things. Well, coming up next, we'll dive into the Seahawks' Week 9 opponent with sideline and beat reporter Sal Capasio from the Bills right here on Hawks Live. Hawks Live, every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. Pause, your time to shine. You, you gotta, you're supposed to ask me the question. What's the question? Never mind. Hey, it's Hawks Live. We're here with oh. Michael Bumpus, Paul Moore. I'll be ready every next Thursday. one. I'll be ready. You'll be ready next one. My every bad. Thursday right here on 710 ESPN. And right now, we get to talk to Sal Capaccio. Bills, beat, and sideline. Hey, Sal, I'm sorry if I butchered your name, man. How you doing? No, you said it. You said it right. There you go, it's Capaccio. Great job. Thank he, you. he was practicing. He was going to say Capaccio, or is it Capaccio? That's right. That's right. That's right. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It, it, it sounds good, and uh, always glad to be on, guys. Thank you very much. Hey, thank you for staying up. I know it's late, about ten fifteen, ten sixteen over there. So, thank you for dealing dealing with us tonight, man. First question I have for you. How nice is it to look at the standings in the AFC East and see the Buffalo Bills at top at 6-2? and two? It's even nicer than looking at the weather on Sunday being <laughs> 70 degrees and sunny in November. Wow. And that's saying a lot here in Buffalo. Well, we, we like that. Uh, we'll call it climate change then. <laughs> it's really good. Um, no doubt. No doubt. Guys, it's, it's, been a, it's been a long time. I mean, you know, the Bills have last – Last time the Bills won the AFC East was 1995. It was a quarter century ago, the last time they won the division. It's been so long that the Indianapolis Colts have actually won the AFC East more recently, and they haven't played in the division. <laughs> I mean, that's a long time. So uh, it's, it's been pretty cool. You know, we went through a 17-year playoff drought here 
that was ended a couple of years ago when the Bills went. Um, and then they went again last year, two out of the last three years. But you know, they haven't won a playoff game. That's the next step. But uh, to see the Bills this late in the season – that high up in the standings, I believe it's the first time since the 1990s. Well, they, uh, they're, they're the real deal. I was watching them on film last night, and they, you got players everywhere. But a bit of a Buffalo fan in my past years. My roommate at Arizona State, Joey Lumpkin, played linebacker there for a couple of years. And then Chuck Knox, when he was a coach, my first mm-hmm. year here with Seattle is when he, he moved uh, from Buffalo to here. So uh, a little bit of history there. So um, before we get into all the positives, because there's a lot of positive going on in Buffalo. The one negative, it's, and what's interesting, last year, 2019, defensively, lights out, dominant. This year, not so much. Just real, what's happened there? Because it doesn't look like personnel's changed that much. Yeah, it's actually been a really good defense for the three years that uh, McDermott and Frazier have been here. They took a bit of a dip in 18, but at 17 and 19, they were really good, and it's been the hallmark. That's how Sean McDermott became a head coach. He's been a very good defensive coordinator. Leslie Frazier, too. He's been a very good defensive coach. Um, you know, they do have some personal changes up front. Uh, they did lose Star Latula late to an opt-out, and then they lost Jordan Phillips uh, in free agency and Shaq Lawson in free agency. Now, that said, I don't think anybody anticipated that that would have that big of an impact because they signed Quentin Jefferson from over there in Seattle, obviously. Uh, Vernon Butler came from Carolina. They have Ed Oliver. But, you know, I, I think that the hallmark of the defensive line that the Bills create is athleticism and a bit undersized, and they're missing that space either. They're missing the guy like a star to really keep the linebackers clean, and that's really hurt them in the run game. Plus, they've had some injuries. Matt Milano's a fantastic player, and he's been hurt. He's dealing with a pec injury. I don't even know. I don't think he's going to play this week. Um, that's really hurt them as well. So, you know, it, it's it's been a combination of some things. I think the biggest thing for the Bills this year is, as opposed to years past where they can kind of cover everything and do everything well, they have to pick their. They have to pick this year, and if they want to stop the run, they'll stop the run. If they want to stop the pass, they, they'll stop the pass. But they can't really do all of it at once. All right, Sal. Let's talk about your quarterback, Josh Allen. I watched this dude on film. He was obviously in the MVP talks. What the first four or five weeks uh, takes a couple losses to two really good football teams. But I watched film on this kid, and he's tough. He has an arm. He has some weapons. I think last week they may have found their recipe on how to use him efficiently throughout this year. What are your thoughts on Josh Allen so far? Well, you know, he's been really the antithesis of what you see from quarterbacks these days. When they come in the league, a lot of times they either have it or they don't. And if they don't, usually the, the, there's a coach that gets fired, a GM, they reset the position, and there's all this change and chaos. Look at the 18 class. Baker Mayfield's had that. Sam Darnold's had that. Josh Rosen's obviously had that. You know, Josh, he has, and what Josh has had is an actual organization that's put a really strong amount of structure around him and development around him, and they've really progressed him along the way. He took a really big jump from year one to year two, and then another massive jump from year two to the start of year three this year. And you just don't see that in quarterbacks. Teams, organizations don't have that kind of patience anymore, right, guys? But they have with Josh Allen, and that's why he's really, now you're seeing the fruits of all that labor that they've done with him. And, you know, getting a guy like Stephon Diggs obviously helps they've improved the talent around him. But the biggest thing is, um, you know, the last few games, he, he hasn't played nearly as poorly as a lot of the media want you to believe. I, I think he's had one bad game this year. That was Kansas City. Uh, he, he played poorly in that game. Other than that, he actually, I didn't think, played too badly in the Tennessee game they lost. And last week he was 70%, 300 yards. They just didn't score touchdowns. Um, he, he's, he's improved his accuracy. I think he, we can throw that out that he can't teach accuracy. He's worked on it. He's done a lot. He's 13th in the league in completion percentage now. Um, but he is tough as nails. He's a great athlete, and that really helps him do a lot of things back there. 
You know, we uh, being here in the Northwest Seattle, anybody close to Canada doesn't quite get all the recognition they deserve. Buffalo being one of those. So uh, the reason why I'm throwing that out is you got a player named Jordan Poyer who's from Oregon State up here in the Northwest. You know, I, I football people know who he is, but the, the, if I asked, you know, just somebody who's a football fan, they may not know who he is. This guy is unbelievable. Just talk about him, both as his play as well as what he's like as a person. He is the Bills version of Jamal Adams. That's the best way I could put it for Seattle Seahawks fans. I'm not saying that he's a as good of a player as Jamal. I think Jamal's a, a fantastic player. But Jordan Poyer is a really good football player. And he's, a, he's even a better football player because he has Micah Hyde next to him, by the way, guys. You know, together, I would say separately, I would not put Jordan or Micah in the top five safeties in the league. They might be pretty close to that. But together, I think they form the best tandem or at least close to maybe top three in the entire NFL. They're so good together. They play off each other so well. Um, Jordan, they use them all around uh, the defense, like they do in Seattle with Jamal, and you know he's he's top ten in tackles this year. Now, not the greatest thing when your when your safety is leading your team in tackles, but that's because they use him like a Swiss Army knife. Yeah. But as a person, the, the the best part about Jordan as a person is how far he's come. You know, as a leader, he's actually a captain this year. He was never a captain before. He's been in Buffalo. This is a, he got a contract extension in the off season. He was named a team captain this year. He came from Cleveland. He had some injuries. No one really knew who he was. Um, the Bills uh, had a coach on staff who recommended him as a free agent to Sean McDermott. They looked into him. They signed him, and he's really blossomed here. He's done a really good job. You know, it's it's remarkable because he's he's on pace for about 100. And he's got 69 tackles right now. He's on pace for mm-hmm. probably close to 150. He's got two sacks. But, you know, in today's age, he's six foot, 191 pounds. You know, but just tough yeah. as now. I, I just uh, enjoy enjoy watching. But a lot, a lot of guys. By the way, like he's that. also – he was – he was drafted in Major League Baseball. <laughs> That's how good of an athlete he was as well. He was drafted by the Florida Marlins. Let's talk about one of our um, our old players. You know how the Seahawks do, man. We we keep tabs on guys <laughs> who used to be here, and eventually they make their way, their, their way back to Seattle. Um, how's Quinn Jefferson looking on that defensive line? Q's great. You guys probably you know you know he's just a great guy, right? Yeah, you know every time great. you know this is a different year. I I've never had a chance to meet him face to face because of the COVID year, and not in the locker room this year. Uh, but every time we do Zoom calls with him and things like that, you know, he's just he's really good. He's he's got a great personality. Um, he fits this culture really well, and I'm sure he did. I think I think Pete Carroll, you know, what I know about him, and I think he would fit in Seattle really well. And I know there were a lot of people who wanted them to wanted them to keep him, and you know, they weren't able to. And the Bills, I think, got a really nice player here, and he fits what the Bills want to do schematically because he can play outside and he can play inside. And the Bills, you know, they they move guys around on the defensive line, like I was saying earlier. So. You know, he really plays well, I think, in this particular scheme. He's done a nice job. Um, you know, the D-line overall has probably underperformed when it comes to stopping in the run game, but I wouldn't put that on any one individual necessarily. I just think it's the philosophy they run and the fact that, you know, they just don't have the bigger defensive linemen to match up with some of the more physical offensive lines they play in the league. Yeah, Quentin's definitely missed. We've we've always had him on our show every year, and you know, as you mentioned, he's just he's he's quality human being and a great yeah. interview. Um, so talk again. There's a lot of names out there. I mean, getting Diggs was a, a big deal, and again, I think offensively, you guys are are going to be a handful. But talk about some players maybe that uh, our listeners don't know about that are, are having an impact for Buffalo. Well, you mentioned Stephon Diggs. You guys know about him, you know, but what really. The guy that makes the offense tick, I think, is John Brown, the wide receiver. And, and, and that's part of the reason why they haven't played as well lately is he's been out and he's been hurt. 
Uh, he missed the Tennessee game. They didn't play very very well. He comes back against Kansas City. He just couldn't run away from anyone, guys. I, I was down there. I'm the sideline reporter on the radio network, and I'm down in the moat watching him. He just couldn't run away, and the Bills couldn't really use him. Uh, he, he he missed another game. When he's out there, he really makes everybody else's job a lot easier because he can stretch the defense. He can run every route in the route tree. And then, you know, you got a guy like Stefan Diggs and Cole Beasley underneath. But I think the running backs don't get enough credit here. It's because the Bills' running game – the numbers aren't, they don't wow you, but I'll tell you what, guys, they got two good young running backs. Devin Singletary, Motor, is his nickname they call him. Um, he's in his second year, and this guy is, you know, he'll make you miss in a phone booth. He's super elusive. He can do a lot of things, but they've paired him now with Zach Moss. And Zach Moss has had a really good last two weeks. You know, if you're a Seahawks fan, you don't really know much about Zach Moss. You might learn a little bit about him this week. He's finally starting to get a little bit more of the carries. Uh, he, he's over a toe injury he had, and he's a punishing runner. In fact, when he was drafted in his, um, uh, post-draft press conference, he told us, he said, I want defenders to have to make business decisions. He loved, He would rather run over you than around you. <laughs> I like that mentality. Used to have that mentality here for a few years with uh, Marshawn Lynch and the gang. Yeah, um, that's right. Last one we got for you, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. These are two of the best receivers in the league. This defense only has four interceptions so far. How do you expect them to handle these two? Well, I'll give you a stat of the day for you guys, a stat of your show. Yeah, I, I was talking about this on our radio this morning. I was looking it up. Um, you know, the Seahawks, as you know, are great at the big play. They actually, they're second in the league with six pass plays of 40 yards or more. The Bills are actually number one in the league, only allowing one pass play an entire year of 40 yards or more. So it's not about the takeaways and the interceptions. It comes back to the Bills just don't allow big plays on defense. And the one big play they have allowed this year it was actually a simple catch off the line of scrimmage, and Jameson Crowder broke a couple tackles, and he went 60 yards to the house. So they have not allowed anything at all over the top this year, and they've consistently been number one or two in the league in that category. They aren't getting the takeaways. They haven't. Those need to come. Travis White is exceptional. He's an all-pro. We know that. I don't know what the plan will be. I assume, and my guess would be, they're going to play the Seahawks the way they played the Chiefs, which is don't let everything – they held Tyree Kill to 20 yards receiving, and they basically said, hey, look, we're not going to let you throw on us. But – the difference was the Chiefs ran for 245 yards. And I don't know, I don't think the Seahawks are necessarily equipped to do that, and I don't think they want to do that. But the Bills are going to do whatever they can to make sure the Seahawks will work for everything they have to get and have to keep everything underneath them. They've been very successful at that, uh, whoever they've played. This, this is how far the, the Seahawks have changed, where you just said the Seahawks don't want to run the football. <laughs> there was a time that we weren't allowed to throw the football, and now it's uh, it, what, what, it, what a change. I will say this. I am 70 degrees. That'll be fun. I it's kind of there's two huge home field advantages. One's in Buffalo, one's yep. in Seattle. It's a shame the fans aren't aren't able to to partake in that. Oh man, guys, we're missing it so much, you know. And I've I've been on the uh, radio network now. It's my seventh year, so I travel with the team. I go to all these stadiums. I was there Monday night a few years ago. Classic game, a great game, came down to the end. You know, with Tyrod at quarterback, and, and and you're right. I think that. You know, that stadium, those fans, we all know, incredible. And the same thing here. We are missing that home field advantage this year. There's no fans allowed here uh, this year. We're not traveling as a radio crew to the road games like most aren't this year. So, you know, it's just it's just been a different year. We can't wait till we don't have to deal with this stuff anymore. Um, we can get after it. But, you know, as far as this, this week, uh, it's funny. I know, I know you guys got let Russ Cook up there. Um, you know, people are saying this week, in response to that, because of the Seahawks' struggles on defense, let Josh cook. So we're calling it a cook-off because it's 70 <laughs> degrees here in Buffalo. 
It's going to be a good one. Hey, we call that a cookout. We're on from yeah. style. We call that a cookout. Well, we're looking forward to it. And honestly, I'm going to take that set that you just told us, and I'm going to say it like I never heard it before on Sunday in the Hawks pregame show. <laughs> so okay. I, I okay, appreciate man. that, man. And I appreciate six, you. Um, six plays of 40 yards or more, and the Bills have only allowed one play of 40 yards or more. There it is. We'll give you credit. It's in there. Hey, appreciate you uh, staying up and dealing with us. I'll have a good one, man. All right, you guys too. Thank you. I right, appreciate it. Yeah, that was good. Good good, good stuff. Good stuff. All right, coming up next, we turn up the heat a little bit. Two men enter, but there can only be one winner. Paul Moyer and I talk that talk. Don't go anywhere. It talks a lot. Say it with your chest. It's time to talk that talk with Michael Bumpus and Paul Moyer on Hawks Live. It's time to talk that talk. That's when me and Paul Moyer square off and just get some things off of our chest. You know what this reminds me of? You know Mike Tyson is going to fight Roy Jones Jr.? Yeah. That's going to be a good one. Yeah. This is uh, this is Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. So if if you and I were those two, which one would you be? Which one would I be? You already know what I'm going to say. I'm Tyson, right? I'm Tyson. <laughs> no, you're not big enough. Hey, I'm Tyson. You're Roy. Nah, man. You're willing to come up a class. Mike Tyson is like 5'10". Yeah, 5'11". but I'm talking weight. Hey, I could put on 20 before the fight. You could put on 20 and still be 20 less than me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the first thing we're going to get into, Paul. Bill Belichick is making excuses for his 2-5 and five start by his football team. He says, we sold out to win a Super Bowl and have less to work with in 2020. Is he making excuses or is he just being real? What are your thoughts on that? Um, I'm waiting for my notes to come up that I was writing <laughs> on the plane. Open up. Of course, not opening up. Um, a couple of things on that one. Uh, one is part of it's excuses because I think, and it ties into Tom Brady left, yep. right? So I got to make excuses of, well, we put everything we had into that and we don't have any salary cap. And, and I brought in this minimum wage million dollar quarterback who was an MVP. You know what I'm saying? So a, a bit of, well, actually more than a bit, a, a lot of excuses. But here's, here's my closing on this. Okay. You know what we just learned? What's that? Players win. Players do. I don't care how great a coach you are. If you don't got the horses, you, I don't care how great a coach you are. Yeah, I mean, you coach. I mean, you got to have the horses. You need personnel. So now I'm bringing it back to the Seahawks. You know what guy has never won a best of the best, you know, coach of the year, GM of the year? Schneider. Yep. And I don't care. Look, as great a coach, and we know Pete Carroll's a fantastic coach. He's proven that through USC and here. Man, you got to have the horses. You've got to have the players. Yep. And it just made me realize how, how valuable John Schneider is to this team. He always gives the Seahawks a chance to win. And you have good coaching, you take that to the next level. Bill Belichick is finding out for the very first time in, since he's been at New England, I'm not as great a coach as I thought it was. i, I got to have some horses. I agree with you. He needs his horses. He needs his personnel. And he says, we sold out. So I'm like, all right, what does selling out mean? What did they do to put them in this predicament? Now, 
okay, they have a million in cap cap space. They still owe Tom Brady 13.5, AB 4.5, Michael Bennett 2 mil. They signed Gilmore to 26 mil. A bunch of numbers, right? A lot of a lot of numbers going out there. So he's saying, you know what, my, my hands are tied. What do I do? We brought in Cam Newton. We're only paying him a million dollars. He is speaking facts, but it is excuses. And the reason why I don't want to hear that, Bill, is because you won for 20 years, Bill. Uh. I'm holding up an L. I'm holding up an L. Is that, the, is that right in front that's of his forehead? No. Loser? Below the chin. Below the Take chin. Take the L on the chin. Okay. No one wants to hear a guy who's been to 10 Super Bowls, one six, had all this success, complain, oh, well, we don't have our guys. I, I feel no sympathy from you. Be the guy who doesn't want to answer questions in the press conference. If it's, it's such a basic question that you make a reporter feel dumb for asking the question, be that guy and just don't say nothing to say we're just not good enough. We're just not good enough. This is the first time where Bill is making excuses. No one wants to hear that. You, you've had too much success for you to sit here and make excuses. Take the L on the chin like the Bengals have been doing, like the Browns have been doing, like the Dolphins have been doing. It's your turn, Bill. Yeah. Take it on the chin, man. I like it. Okay. You got the next one. What's the next one, Paul? All right. The, the next one. Um... The Seahawks, this is a good one. I had a good conversation uh, today about this. Are the Seahawks better off without uh, uh, Jadavion Clowney, who right now has 15 tackles, three for loss, no sacks in 2020? Are they better off without him, or would they have been better off with him? I'm going to say they are better off without him. And I'm going to say that because it has allowed the Seahawks to make other moves. You're not, you didn't get a bunch of production out of him when it came to sacks and all that stuff, but he did have games where he had turnovers, he had touchdowns. I get all that. But I feel like this defense needed more than just that one guy. They needed several guys. And this week, you might get snacks. You got Dunlap. You got Jamal. Mm. That defense, personnel-wise, has gotten better. If you just keep Clowney here and say, okay, everyone else get better. We're just going to keep this guy here. I, I think this defense is better. It's worse this year than it is last year. Yeah, the, the way the question's written initially went, well, of course we would be better off with him. He's a really good football player, and he has a fantastic football player. He's just not a dominant dominant pass rusher. He yeah. never has. He doesn't have those moves. He's a guy. He's a hustle guy. I love his game. He's an all-around player. Great in the run game. I mean, you, yes, you would love to have him because you can't have enough good football players. But when you take in everything, the, all the context to it of salary cap and who can you sign, here, here's the, to me, it's, this is the, I guess, the, the answer. Would you rather have Jamal Adams or Clowney? Adams all day. So that's what it is, right? Yeah. Because we couldn't afford them both. There's no way. I mean, we gave him 12 to $15 million, what he was asking. So I think the Seahawks, because you're right, we don't get Dunlop. We, maybe we don't get snacks. Probably get snacks. You know, just the, the depth. Maybe we don't even get Dunbar. You yeah. Know? I mean, so yeah. there, there's a lot of things we don't have. And to me, I think we're better off because of that. And, man, we didn't even mention Bruce Irvin. Probably still would have been able to get Bruce Irvin. But yeah. another guy that this defense is missing. Okay. If the Seahawks win the Super Bowl, this will be the best coaching job of Pete Carroll's career. Well, Yes. I mean, obviously, you know, if we win this one and, and mainly because, you know, we won in 2013, we, we knew what we had and we were fantastic yeah. on the defense, you know, historically fantastic on, on the defense. We but you know what? It wasn't a consistent team. You know, it, it, offensively, it took us a while to get our groove, you know, unlike in, in 2012 where we went on an unbelievable run the end of the season offensively. Yeah. You know, th- that team was very different. And so I look at it in two ways. I go, one is 
I guess because of the way the defense is playing for them to, him to rally and keep them in the game and for us to go on and win a Super Bowl and to be 6-1 and one right now with a historically bad statistical defense. Yeah. I, I think, again, by the end of the year, we're going to be playing top 15-10 defense the last four or five games of the year. I, I believe that. So, yes, when, where we are there, but if I look at the talent – I mean, look at defensively what we have. I mean, you start looking at four, five, six potential pro bowlers. Offensively, we're loaded across the board. You know, I can make a case that... uh, Can you say that? Can you really say six pro bowlers on the worst defense in the NFL? I'm just saying on paper. I mean, Griffin's been in the the pro bowl. The whole secondary, right? The four starting secondary guys are pro bowl caliber guys. You throw in our two linebackers who have both been to a pro bowl. They're six. I could make a case for Reed at times. I mean, you know... Go back two years ago when he had the sack pro bolt. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at there's six, there's seven. You know, so I, there's no reason for this defense to be struggling the way they've been struggling. So if it's not the personnel, Paul Moore, yes, then it has to do with the scheme. So if so, I guess the question again: if they win the Super Bowl, is this the best coaching job he's ever had? I will say yes, because I, I think in 13, you're, you're talking about Hall of Fame guys. I yeah. mean, across the board. But I could flip this one on you, too. Okay. What if they don't get to the NFC Championship? It's All the players, would this be one of his it could be the worst. underachieving coaching it, it, jobs? It, it could be. And, yeah. you know, let me get back to the original question. Yes, I think it would be the best because he has shown that he can change. He can say, look, yeah. we're going to get away from running the football. We're going to let Russell do point. his thing. Yep. Uh, defensively, he's been kind of stubborn until last week. Last week we saw some things that we saw week one and two when Jamal Adams was available. Now, if they don't get to the NFC Championship, it's a huge disappointment. This team is ready to go. Because of the things you said, you look at them on paper on defense, ballers. Look at them on paper on offense, ballers. It all has to come together, and this might be the week, Paul. After last week's defensive performance, this might be the week. So, Yes, it would be his best coaching job. Then. Yes, and and I agree. And the point you made, and I know we got to wrap it. It's the way he's changed. He went from a running, we're going to do it no matter what, to let's take the take, take the helm. All right, we got it all figured out. It's the best. It would be the best if they win the Super Bowl. Well, coming up next, we got you covered with all things Seahawks and the NFL. As the Professor John Clayton joins us next on Hawks Live. Hawks Live, every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. Sorry, yes, sir. It's that time. It's Thursday. It's 745. You hear James Brown in the background. That means we're talking to John Clayton. John, how you doing, sir? Well, John's not there. Oh, there I'm, he is. Oh, there he is. Like, I'm, I'm just wondering how much of the 12s are enjoying watching the San Francisco 49ers now looking like the new Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> yeah, this is, um, this is a tough one because part of me is like, yeah, just knock San Francisco out. I don't like them. But, you know, when you, I'm kind of starting to feel sorry for them. Have to. And, and more importantly, I'd, just, I'd prefer Green Bay to lose. They, yeah. They've never yeah. been a good matchup for us. Yeah, but, of course, now what you're looking at is that you know, Nick Mullins did well coming in for, what, 250 yards of passing in the fourth quarter uh, in a comeback when they were down by 20 points, which was 
pretty much meaningless. <clears throat> and now he looks terrible. You know, they have so many problems. I mean, how about the fact that <clears throat> they end up, you know, being pretty much down to almost two receivers. Yeah, I know they brought up uh, Tyler uh, Craycraft from the uh, practice squad <clears throat> and trying to get a couple, another running back off the practice squad. But, I mean, they look absolutely terrible. Nick Mullins right now has to be close enough to being benched to go to C.J. Beathard after having a good fourth quarter against Seattle. But, I mean, this looks really bad. And next week they have to go against New Orleans. And so pretty much the 49ers are out of it. So now it's becoming a three-team race in the NFC West. You know, John, one of my buddies who's a 49er fan texted me and said, Nick Mullins is a better quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo. Look at the fourth quarter. He's not very smart, is he, John? No, not really. No. I mean, again, I mean, let's put it this way. Uh, whoever texted you didn't realize that a couple weeks ago when Jimmy Garoppolo ended up after the mistake of Kyle Shanahan of putting him out there with that 7-for-17 performance with the bad high ankle sprain, and then they come back and they go to Nick Mullins, what did they do the next week? They went to C.J. Beathard. It's like, okay, if Mullins is that good, are you going to stay with him? So they ended up going to Beathard, and you almost have to think they're on the verge of doing the same thing. And, I mean, this thing is really bad. I counted up today. Now, again, they have two opt-outs, but if you count, don't count the two opt-outs, they have 22 players on a reserve list, whether it's going to be injured reserve, PUP, anything like that. 22 players. And, of course, you've got uh, three of those included in that, or four of those, and COVID's testing. And so uh, the, the left tackle, Trent Williams, he has been, uh, he's got a positive, not that he didn't get a positive uh, COVID's test because it was really Kendrick Bourne. And so because he was in the room with him, they had to keep him out of the game, but his replacement has given up three sacks. John, a lot of players coming back, and new, both new and old. You know, guys getting healthy and and some uh, some trades as well. Talk about some of the roster moves this week, and and what's that mean moving forward for the Hawks? Well, you have to think that uh, there's got to be a, a bunch of roster moves. They cut Luke Wilson. You know, Demontre Moore ended up getting suspended, so that opens up a roster space. And then you know, you figure that uh, Damon Snacks Harrison has got to be his week. You know that uh, Carlos Dunlap has now been on the on the active roster. I mean, he's been cleared from the exempt list. Uh, you figure Rasheen Green is going to probably be available. Uh, you figure Philip Dorsett is probably going to go on injured reserve because he had the bone spur surgery. So there's going to be a lot of uh, moves. But, I mean, look at the reinforcements. You're talking about the best safety in the game, Jamal Adams, coming back. He'll be back. You've got Dunlap. You'll see his debut. You'll see Damon Snacks Harrison, his debut. And then, you know, whatever other moves they can make, uh, I think that uh, that bodes well for this team. John, this defense performed better than most weeks last week against the 49ers. What do you think it was, and should we expect this type of play to continue? Well, again, it's going to be a little bit tougher because Garoppolo did not look good. And I think he was still lingering because of the problems with the ankle. So now it's going to be better offense coming from Josh Allen because he's healthy. I mean, he's got the best, one of the top three wide receiver groups in football. And so that's going to make it a little bit tougher. But, uh, you know, I, I think overall, 
the defense just has to make – it's going to come down to the pass rush, as it always does, and the secondary. Now, of course, the one thing that I think that you can see is that they're going to probably have a pretty heavy blitzing scheme because you saw how well Bobby Wagner did getting the two sacks, the pressures, and getting defensive player of the a week in the NFC. And now you got Jamal Adams coming back, and you know he's played Buffalo two times a year, and Josh Allen, so he'll know what to do. So I think that you know, that could be a heavy dose, but also – Aside from that, the key has to be getting Shaquem Griffin back. He didn't practice today, which is probably unfortunate because of the hamstring. I know he's still got a concussion issue right now, but you know they need Shaquem. They need uh, Quentin Dunbar. You know they need Trey Flowers. You know they need, uh, of course, uh, you know DJ Reed, who did a great job last week. They need as much as they can to control this game. But what is it? I think the over/under is like 55, and you figure the way this team has been this year, it's probably going to be the over as far as scoring. John, a couple uh, player-wise. Um, one, you know, a year ago, if you had said, hey, we had a chance to get Vic Beasley, former Atlanta Falcon guy who had 15 and a half sacks and then signs the free agent this year with Tennessee, gets released, you know, mm-hmm. halfway through the season. I, one, what's what's going on there? And then I, I got a follow-up question. Is there any chance he ends up as a Seahawk? I, I can't see why not. I mean, because, you know, he's going to want to try to come to a good team. And, you know, he's been with Dan Quinn, who knows the Seahawks. Uh, he knows the Seahawks defense and all that stuff. And he went to uh, you know, Tennessee and was terrible. I mean, he came 10 days late because of some medical I- issue is what uh, the general manager said. They didn't describe what the, ge- uh, the medical issue was. I mean, he had three tackles in the games that he's played and has been a non-factor. But, of course, I was going through this, Paul is that, you know, think about this was not a good year to try to go and pay a uh, defensive end, linebacker, edge edge rusher. And why as I say that? You know, Dante Fowler got $15 million a year, and, you know, he has the same number of sacks, too, as Benson Mayoa and Jamal Adams. I mean, you look at the fact that they had Jadevian Clowney at $13 million and Vic Beasley at $9.5 million. They had zero sacks. And so, uh, the, the really, Emmanuel Ogba, who went to uh, Miami, as a linebacker, I mean, he's had like a little over five or six sacks. And, of course, you got Alden Smith, who had been out of football five years. You know, he's had about five. But you've had very few players as edge rushers doing good things. I mean, you know, Everson Griffin ended up getting two and a half sacks for Dallas uh, before he was traded. And uh, that didn't work out because he went to Minnesota. And so this was not a good year to try to go and acquire uh, edge rushers. And so I think that, uh, you know, the Dunbar... The Dun, Dun, the Dunlap deal was a good deal because I think he can help. But overall, this was just a tough year. But I think if you're Seattle, you've got to consider Beasley. Because, again, Beasley's going to make $9.5 million. That's not going to change. He's already guaranteed that. So he can come and take the minimum salary and uh, you know come here to Seattle and try to at least be an option. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's an interesting year. And I'd, I'd read earlier, I think it was last year in free agency, that he, was, he wanted to be a Seahawk. But we'll, we'll see how that plays. Okay, time. This is your time, John. This is our favorite moment. Uh, what do you want to talk about? The the mic is yours. Well, because I was surprised because you always ask each week what people haven't asked about. And why was there a 30% decrease in trades? The trade deadline was Tuesday, and it turned out there was only 73 trades this year after 105 last year and 102. And so much of it was well, a couple things. One was a pandemic because now it takes longer to get players on the roster. 
Like if you make a trade on Tuesday, you can't get him on the roster till the next week. Secondly, everybody is so worried about picking up a big salary because next year the cap could go down $20 million. And so what you saw, it was a lot of guys going for sixth and seventh round picks were not big names. And so that wasn't the case. And so this was not a big trade year. The pandemic played part of it. The fact there was no preseason, that played part of it as far as preseason games, no offseason program. So everybody was kind of looking at the roster that late. And so it really turned out to be kind of a wash this year for trades. Well, if they would have just talked to you, John, and you let them know everything that you thought, there might have been more trades this year, but everyone's I could have talked them into it, yeah. Well, they, <laughs> look, they don't all have our segment with John they like don't. we do. They don't. They, there you go. they ain't got it like us. Well, John, hey, thanks again. I get to talk to you twice on Thursday, so nice talking to you again. And as always, keep it funky, baby. Got to do it. Good stuff. Thanks, John. Thanks. All right, coming up next, we chat with Seahawks Corner DJ Reed right here on Hawks Live.